Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I am joined uh, today by a singer-songwriter um, whose last record, Carried Away, uh, came out in 2017. Uh, he's also the owner and founder of Catch Cider. Uh, he is the uh, owner of Driftless Records, and uh, I'm excited to talk to him about his passions, artistry, and why he does what he does. Thank you very much, Ethan Keller, for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. How you doing? I'm pretty good, man. Uh, it's a little rainy today, but um, it's a very, it's a nice, cool, crisp spring day. Um, I've got the window cracked, drinking a LaCroix. I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I got this. Uh, this is my um, chocolate milk mug. I'm addicted to chocolate milk here but yeah it's a little drab out but um it's it's uh hey rainy spring right things are looking up right the grass is growing it is that's that was like my first thought this morning when i saw it was raining i'm like hey at least we're about to get some like really like bright green grass soon so uh well yeah what have you done today so far oh i've been working on a couple of different things. I've been, uh, I put a feeler out there for somebody to uh, work at the cidery with me. Um, my new cidery has uh, got a lot of stuff going on. I'm doing a lot of cool kind of small test batches right now to keep people interested in the off season. So yeah, and I'm starting to book some summer gigs and things like that too. So um, hopefully uh, I'll have uh, two kind of, I'll be running two businesses sort of. Well, that's exciting. Um, dope. I'm excited to talk all about that. Um, but first, uh, so what we talk about at Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so, um, yeah, Ethan, uh, to start. Uh, I, so are you from Milwaukee? Did you grow up here? Well, technically, I was born in Menominee Falls, which is Waukesha County. Um, and then I I went to, I was baptized in Milwaukee. I was actually baptized at uh, Holy Rosary, which is, um, is that it? Holy Rosary is on Oakland Avenue. Um, it's one of the, uh, right now it's in the Three Holy Women Parish. Um, and then I grew up on um, uh, Menominee Falls until I was maybe seven. Then I moved to Milwaukee a little bit. And then I grew up a little bit, well, mostly I grew up in McQuanago, which is where I went to junior high and high school. And um, so I graduated McQuanago High School. And then I basically have always identified with Milwaukee um, since I moved back there after high school. And, you know, I've kind of toured around and kind of said, hey, where are you from, Milwaukee? Um, but uh, for real, even when I was a kid, we used to go to church there every weekend. And so I remember the old Park East Freeway as far back as I can remember. So there's, uh, I've always felt like Milwaukee's been my home. Right. Dope. That's great. I've only been here for seven years. I'm originally from Illinois, but Milwaukee is very much home. Uh, no reason to leave. Um, so, Ethan, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your beginnings with music. Uh, so, what did you grow up listening to? Hmm. What did I grow up listening to? I guess some of my first music that I can remember listening to was radio music in the early eighties, you know, which is like Steve Miller, Abracadabra and um, 
oh gosh, you know, Steely Dan came, Steely Dan's Asia came out in 78. So that stuff was still on the radio in the early eighties when I was, you know, just a young boy. And then, uh, well, I started to listen to the Beastie Boys when I was like, you know, maybe nine years old. And I wrote a little rap when I was nine years old and it was modeled after. <laughs> the Beastie Boys, uh, like Paul Revere or something like that. And, uh, and then, so I kind of got into poetry and lyric writing first. And then um, by high school, by 13 years old, my dad bought me a bass. And then I was becoming like a slap happy uh, bass player and learning Flea's bass lines and things like that. And I kind of simultaneously learned guitar after that. Took music theory in high school. Um, but it wasn't until I finally found like the rock and pop music that I really liked, like the Seattle scene stuff and Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and, you know, Chili Peppers and Nirvana and things like that. That's when I really kind of took music and went, this is what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Right on. Dope. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So um, I imagine like you kind of naturally started falling into writing songs then once you started make once the the instruments came into play considering you started with like the poetry and the writing you would just start writing songs eventually yeah um interestingly enough in my first band um i was a freshman in high school when i was in my first band and uh, we only played one gig and, and um i kind of got <laughs> kicked out of that band when i was 14 anyways um trying to run it <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, I, we had trouble writing original material. Um, and so I, I didn't necessarily bring my lyrics to that band and I didn't, I didn't, we didn't know how to write songs. But um, as soon as I left that band, I started kind of recording stuff at home on my little cassette deck, you know, left to right and speeding up and the tape is warped. So I got to detune the guitar and it's like, oh, come on. So, but I, I probably still have some of those cassettes in my closet over there, you know, and I kind of wish I would have gotten into that a little bit more when I was younger. Um, but I do have some of my oldest recordings and um, my old band, my first band that I started called Green Scene, um, I started when I was 15 years old and um, we released our first album when I was 17. So. I've been, I still feel like I've just, music has just been my thing since I've been, I've been doing it since high school, you know, I've always yeah. done it as a career, paid taxes that way ever since I was a teenager, you know. Awesome. Cool. Right on. Um, what was your first like actual solo record? My first solo record as Ethan Keller came out in 2006. Um, I debuted the band in 2004. I remember that. It was the closing of Ty Joe's on the East Side. Um, it was an old, funky, uh, kind of a hippie kind of restaurant. Um, and it used to be a dance studio. It had mirrors all over the walls and things like that. A lot of great bands came through Ty Joe's. Um, but um, Ethan Keller Group, I started that in 2004. But the um, my first Ethan Keller album didn't come out until 2006. Gotcha. Um, how do you look back at like that time? Um, that's kind of, that's a good question. Um, 
Well, when, I suppose I could examine the departure from when I decided to let my old band dissolve because I had rebuilt that band a bunch of times anyways and hired the, rehired the personnel and gotten new um, players and old players. And there was our, I could have kept going with that band. You know, that band had a, had a name and people still like reminisce about that band and stuff. But I felt like the music or the topics that I was starting to talk about were different. And so maybe I was doing like some spiritual introspection or something as Ethan Keller, as opposed to green scene. Um, but also in hindsight, that's not entirely true because I look back at green scene lyrics and I go, well, there's plenty of spiritual introspection in those lyrics as well. And that's me as well. You know, that I wrote all the music, 95% of the music for that band. Um, so it's not, it, it wasn't, it, it doesn't feel like a discontinuation for me. It just mm -hmm. feels like a name change for me, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just coming in and out of like what you still connect with and, you know, how you grow as a, and evolve as a musician. I get that. Um, yeah, so I guess I entirely answer your question how do i look back on that time the early when i first uh, when i when i went solo huh, that's that's interesting that's uh well it was a di maybe the departure from the old band was that i wanted to instead of write all the material for everybody i wanted to have songs and let the players play the songs and i was learning how to play with people especially with the really good players in milwaukee um, who were being really cool and telling me, hey, cool, I want to play on your stuff. And I was kind of flattered. And I'm like, cool, man, you guys come be on my albums and things. Um, nice. And so that was a really interesting time for me to like let go of being super controlling about how I wanted the music to turn out. And that was a really exciting time for me because it was really, it did seem like a really cool time in the Milwaukee music scene. It was right before like Facebook took over Buddy's world and yeah. like text like 50 people, you know, you were still like email lists still worked and like text people and like you could still have, like I could text people on like 50 people and bring 40 of them out on a Thursday night for a show. And, um, you know, I could, but we were in touch with other bands kind of regionally and it was, a, it seemed like a more vibrant time for the live music scene before Spotify kind of took over everything. Uh, Instagram videos kind of took over everything. Yeah, when uh, everything became digitalized and people started staying home and listening to the music rather than going out and seeing it as much. And I mean, like, we still have great shows, don't get me wrong, but I imagine, like, you had to be a lot more intentional with, like, going out and experiencing new music. Now it's all just at your fingertips. Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate and, and, and try not to be like too old school or sound bitter or jaded or anything like that. But I really appreciate people who do that well, and especially mus musicians who did it, uh, who transitioned through it well, um, who can play live, obviously do great and also do like great Instagram shows, you know, um, so that's like a gift as well. That seems like a challenge to me as a musician, if I can transition well, because I've just I've been a live performer my entire life. And I even had a weird time transitioning through the digital world and in the video world, things like that. I always feel like I'm behind the curve. Like I love music and video and production and things like that, but I'm always struggling to catch up with the technology, with the money to record to, I know I don't have any great 
awesome videos out there. Like bands have great videos, you know, like I don't have any awesome videos out there. I need to find some good video producers and things like that. You know, like uh, no, no, um, no cutting on anybody who's done any videos for me so far. They're great videos. Um, I, I, I've never had like a cool, like MTV type video or, uh, you know, um, scripted uh, video like that or anything. I know what you mean. Yeah. Like, that big budget stuff, yeah. Or people but made to feel like it's a big budget, or like I don't know. I gotta figure out. How, I've never been much of a video person. I feel like I've shied away from video my whole career, and um, I don't know why. Maybe I should uh, learn how to do it better. Huh. Well, that would be cool. But it's yeah. There, there are uh, some pr pretty talented videographers out here, so I can put you in touch with some if you need any uh, recommendations. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, tell me about uh, your last record, "Carried Away." Uh, tell me about that record. Oh, oh, I have to be revealing now. Um, well, um, that was a tough record to make. In fact, well, the last all my records are have been tough to make. You know, like they sometimes they take your pocketbook and just kill it dead and sometimes you're not even happy with the product totally that you that killed your pocketbook um so it was kind of um i hate to say thrown together um i don't want to say thrown together I, I would say minimalistic um one of the tracks lost dog actually came out before the album came out it was it was a single before so that one's a, a little bit of a departure um I had a different producer, uh, Mike Hoffman, who's a great Milwaukee producer. Um, and then, but mostly the rest of the album I did with um, my drummer at the time, um, Tim Russell, um, who I think is a great genius. And um, the title track itself is actually my favorite track on the album because um, he did it in one take and he stayed within like 84, 85 BPM for five minutes without a click track and we did we did it together like and and then he does all these bombastic fills and he's just like on point with this track and i did very minimal editing with any of the drums and um it just came out like this explosive thing i didn't even know what to call the song i hadn't finished the lyrics at the time and when he came out with this take i said it seemed like carried away, like he was getting carried away. And then the lyrics that I was working with kind of was like carried away. Um, and then, but to f fully answer your question, the entire kind of idea of the album carried away has multiple layers. And one of them is being like um, dying um, and like being carried away or even like I even had an idea for having like a casket on the album or something like that, like casket on the back cover, like getting carried away in, by the pallbearers kind of thing. Um, so, and it kind of has also gone with the themes of my album. Um, I had an album called Going Down in History, Going Down in Flames. And then I had an album called um, Dead Man Dancing and then um, Carried Away. So it was kind of like, there's like the, the midlife crisis and then the death or the, the like the death throws and then this was this is the death album so i might have to have a resurrection type album i don't know yeah that all adds up uh for sure <laughs> cool. um yeah i didn't even think about it that way but yeah that's 
for sure. I, I, I feel that what, um, what other layers would you say apply to that record? Hmm. Um, well, carried away. Well, kind of like, well, the, the, the lyrics in the song carried away talk about like, um, getting carried away, um, by like an angel. And so for me, it was like getting carried away in a relationship. Um, so that's a little bit what that song is about. So. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, since then, what have you been uh, working on the last couple of years? Uh, what's, uh, what, yeah, what do you um, have anything coming out in the future? Yeah, I've been working on some tracks, uh, a lot of them for several years. Um, and I'm also debating on whether or not to put some like really old songs on the album and, and even redo some songs on pre that I've done on previous albums, um, which I've done before. Yeah. And I don't necessarily like to do because I don't like to live in the past, but also I also I also feel like it's my prerogative and sometimes you feel like the recording never um, got to the level that it got to to represent the quality of the song or something. Um, and I think about my songs in a commercial context, like all oh, this, if this song were recorded correctly, it could really be a, a song that could be used commercially or something like that. Um, so I do have a bunch of songs in the skillet and there's way too many of them. And I have like a big, huge double album in mind, which I almost have every album I make. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I really kind of want to do it this time. I really want to make a double album and I don't know why, but um, obviously you don't want to just inundate everybody with everything all at once. But um, I got a lot of stuff in the skillet. You know what I mean? That'd be sick. I'd eat that up. So do it, do do your thing, man. That's all I got to say on that. Um, if you want to, well, Steve Miller, man, I think one of the things that I said Steve Miller earlier, didn't I? Right. So yeah. Steve, Miller, like Steve Miller, did like a double album, right? With all well, so many of his uh, super hits were on his first thing, which was like a double album, right? And his idea was like just get set up in the studio, get everybody dialed in, get the band all dialed in, every. You know, especially back in those days when you do it on tape and things like that, you don't want to move stuff around, move mics around, things like that. So just get like 40 songs and get in the place and get the band really tight and get them all finished. And then if you do, if you have a double album, cool. If not, whittle them down to 12 out, 12 songs, you know. Yeah. And then you can always release the rest of them later on and like a a compilation or something like that or even your next record like there's so many ways to go about it but that'd be yeah. cool um in terms of like what you've been writing about the last like lately like the last couple of years where do you feel like your lyrics have been coming from um well most usually they're usually they're about relationships you know they're about love and um, finding love it's like Ze led zeppelin like you know like 75 percent of the songs he says the word love or something like yeah that, right yeah well, um yeah uh yeah i mean i always have kind of written that way too my songs are about people and about the relationship mm -hmm. between people I usually like exploring the love between people you know what love is um you know uh does love take time does it make time does it steal your time does it um waste your time uh there's 
all kinds of ideas about love that are already conflicting in people's world. Everybody has different ideas of what love is. They're, they're raised different ways. So it immediately sets up conflict anytime you write a song about love whatsoever. Um, I have a song called You Made Me. And there's so many songs that have that title, You Made Me. Uh, you made me love you. Um, the idea, you know, like, uh, you you make me feel, you make me feel like a natural woman. So like the idea that you make, you can have an effect on somebody else. You make somebody feel something. You can make somebody love you. What's that? Was that a Bonnie Raitt song? I can't make you love me. I can't make you love me. Uh, okay. Something like that. Um, so uh, yeah, the idea that you can do something, that you can do something that you can do something different to make somebody love you more, or that um, you can turn in, that you can change, that you can change into a different person so that this person would love you more. Um, so uh, the idea of chasing love, you know, or the idea of letting love find you where you are, you know, letting, letting somebody accept you for who you are. Um, yeah. Trying to love somebody for who they are. Yeah. Yeah, those are, those are the things I write about. Man, I struggle with a lot of that, especially right now, kind of going through something like that right now. Um, my last relationship and what I want a relationship to look like in, in the future, like balancing the gives and takes, like what are you willing to work on versus what do you feel like is just authentically you that can't really change? Like I wrestle with that a lot. So <laughs> I, I think that's something that everyone has to, you know, it's it's very rarely spelled out like in a in a regimented way like it's it's something that's very irregular and nuanced and uh it can be very very frustrating so <laughs> yeah yeah well it's frustrating yeah it's frustrating for it's frustrating for everybody and it's and it's also frustrating for creative people because people assume they have these outlets to have these creative outlets and that would somehow ameliorate um, or alleviate their symptoms of feeling out of place, of feeling sad, of feeling rejected or dejected by a society that might not see how they fit in. Um, so, and, but it doesn't necessarily ameliorate or water down those feelings of rejection. Um, it doesn't change society as quickly as you want. I, I write about changing the world, you know. Do I want to change the world through music? Heck yes. Do I want to chase stardom through music? No, that's not why. That's not why I do it. My 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 rock star dreams are much much more audacious than playing in on Alpine Valley, you know. Um, so, but also I'm chase. I don't know what I'm chasing. I'm I'm not chasing to die in obscurity. I'm not chasing um, to uh, die in, in in relative poverty. Uh, but I don't want to chase a life out of my reach. That's that's a lyric you know, that I'm working with, you know, like I didn't, I've been playing music my whole life. So I've been criticized every which way from Sunday about how to do this and not do that when it comes to your music and marketing your music and selling your face. Um, so I've had enough of criticism and I've had enough of the music industry and I've never been of the pop world or the pop culture, but yet I still feel like I want to chase something, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I have to chase something and it's like a piece that I'm chasing, but the piece that I'm chasing, it feels like if I do anything else besides music, I'm lying to myself. So I also struggle with who I should be as a musician. I know that I want to be a musician. I know that I think that it can have the greatest impact as a person, as a musician, but I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. And um, that's, that's what I'm chasing. And that's, um, it's very elusive. Yeah, that, that has me thinking about a lot of things like it actually goes really well in tandem with the theme of this show. Because um, like, yeah, we think about like what drives us to do and chase after something that, you know, might make very little sense most days, but the days that it does make sense, make it worth doing. Um yeah, I, I think that uh, especially in this last year, like with COVID and quarantine, like um, there's a lot of rumination on that and, evalu and evaluating like, well, what do I want? What really truly like, you know, do I want my life to look like, you know, moving forward in this time of intense introspection? So, um, yeah, that being said, actually, that that's a... Uh, good segue into asking um what uh yeah so since in the last year like um i i know you said you've been doing some gigs uh or you have summer gigs planned like uh how have you been staying busy in quarantine well uh strangely enough quarantine didn't necessarily feel all that different from life as a musician who kind of does mostly was most of the work on the weekends um stay at home dad kind of um you know drive your kid to and from school but then have the rest of the day at home to accomplish your work um so it's interesting that a lot of people in the world suddenly get to experience a lifestyle that i've known for 20 years um and to figure out that companies really can survive and even thrive better when their workers are able to work with this kind of convenience. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the productivity, uh, so not to say that quarantine has been awesome. Um, a lot of my gigs dried up. Um, I went from playing a hundred some gigs a year, hundred plus gigs a year to like 35 last year. Um, but I was also lucky, uh, blessed, privileged to have uh, people that um, come up to me and offer me opportunities and I took an opportunity to take a job. And when I took that job, that job turned into somebody encouraging me and, and that, that, that turned into somebody um, referring me to somebody else and w with, for a space and then I got some personal loans and that turned into the cidery. Um, the winery. So I made this the, the first, I built the first winery in the city of Milwaukee, which yeah. still blows my mind. I mean, it's a big city, you know, <laughs> like, I'm, it feels like one of the biggest things I've ever done. And, um, but it's really, it's cool. Um, it's a little bit of a departure from the music world, but some of the things are definitely related. That's awesome. And we're going to talk about the cider in a bit. Um, who's, who's uh, playing with you right now in your band? Playing with me right now in my band currently um, is uh, guitarist Nathan Flugoft. Uh, he's a crazy awesome. Um, he's a dope guy. Yeah. yeah, he's from. Uh, he's originally from Winona, Minnesota. 
And then George Ballesteris is my bass player. Dude, uh, he's he so – he's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Oh, man, he's a hilarious man. He, oh, man, we took him on tour. He forgot his ID, and then we had trouble everywhere we went. It was hilarious. Uh, annoying, but hilarious. Uh, but um, – and he's – and he plays with everybody nowadays, so he's he's uh, great. He's gotten a lot of good work lately. Um, and then Avi Gelfman um, on drums. Avi's a – Avi's a funny, crazy dude, too. The pickle daddy. Avi's yeah. the pickle daddy, yeah. Fermented fruits and vegetables. Yeah, right, yeah. Those guys, um, actually, Avi and Nathan, too, they were both on Mr. Nice Guy a couple months ago. And uh, it's a great time talking to those guys. They're incredible musicians, too. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, that will be fun. Uh, especially as the world opens up a little bit more um, this summer. So hopefully get out and get some fun gigs in. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I just know the gig with them. Um, I'm going to be playing in Sheboygan with Ethan Keller Group on May 1st at Craft 30. And then um, we'll be up in, uh, we'll be in Elkhart Lake. I forgot what the date is. I think it's in July uh, at the Osthoff Resort. So that's fun. Right on. Um, tell me about uh, Driftless Records. Driftless, oh yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I've been a geology nerd since since kind of well high school and college kind of, um, and I always liked the Driftless area, which is the unglaciated region of the Midwest. There's parts of it uh, in Iowa. Illinois and Minnesota as well, but most of it's in Wisconsin. Um, and it actually is a really cool word, driftless. And I remember the year when I started that, somebody else was trying to, somebody else, I think there's a European record label called Driftless Records or something like that. They tried to nab it or something like that. It's like a more of a DJ label. They remix some stuff. But um, I actually nabbed the Facebook. Um, the Facebook ID. So that was pretty cool. And so I changed the logo one time, but um, I was, I was hoping I still might kind of have this dream someday. I thought someday I might build an Earthship out in the Driftless region and it would be kind of a, maybe some kind of micro grid communal artist, communal garden farm area with a, you know, a cool venue. And then maybe a recording studio. I've, I've seen such cool pictures of people building studios in these kind of rotundas with reciprocating roofs. And um, that would be a cool dream of mine to build some kind of Earthship home studio, yeah. hippie village. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Michigan. I bet I could do it in Michigan. The laws might not be ready in Wisconsin, but uh, we'll see. That'd be wicked. That'd be, that'd be some real hippie shit, but it'd be, it'd be sick. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so that's how it started. That was sort of like the, the, the theme by the name and stuff like that. Um, so how long you've been doing it? Well, uh, gosh, it's hard to even remember what the, well, I think I put, um, I think the profit, um, came out when I called it Driftless, and I think that was 2010, but I'm not sure. It might have been 
might have been my 2013. I think it was my 2013 album. I actually wanted to sign somebody else before that album came out. Um, but um, I, w I had just got, I don't know, I didn't like, I was, I was, I had been scouted by labels in the past in my old band. And I haven't really had much super interest um, from labels. And I had, you know, whatever the old adage is, you don't go seeking out the labels, the labels come seeking for you, you know, if you're doing the right things. And, but no label had ever come really seeking me out. So I was like, well, I suppose I'll just start my own label and, um, and call it this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Who, who's, been on the, who's been on the label? Just me so far. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, got close to getting another person on the label. Somebody who act actually they gave me the album, um, and then I didn't put the album out because I couldn't really guarantee them what they wanted as far as promotion on it. Um, so we kind of, I the album just it, it's still sitting there. Yeah, which is sure. sad. Which is sad, but uh, the motive was good. The motive was good. I wanted to just. Um, I said, I don't even care if anybody listens to this album. I just want you to, I want to listen to this album in my car, you know? So, and to me, this guy's one of the greatest songwriters in the Midwest, um, but he's so low key. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't even, he's over it right now. <laughs> yeah. I get that. At that point, it's just all about like what you want to do with it at the end of the day. Um, yeah, you gotta have a prerogative to have a record label, I guess, and that's maybe what I didn't really know. Oh, you're gonna have a record label? What are you gonna do with it? Nothing, you know. I'm <laughs> just gonna release my records on it, you know. But um, I guess that's my problem in my world is that I'm I'm not good at um, promotion. You know, I should I'm like I'm too snobby. I think I should let people come to me. Whatever, I put the music out there, you buy it or not. Um, but I, no, I'm, I'm not that snobby. I realize that I need to work to sell records and it's, it's hard to sell records. And actually it feels like I've had some skill in selling records, like physical records. Um, cause I can still go out there and play the shows. I was still going and I was still touring thousands of miles in 2018 and 2019 coast to coast, you know, like, yeah. And, um, I sell with physical units, you know, become 10 to 20% of my income. So um yeah selling physical units is is tough you got to go out there and be able to entertain people and who come buy your product you know yeah yeah you're right um have you been to um all 48 of the contiguous united states let's see well i've been i think i've been through all 48 uh you can see there's I have them all highlighted. I have all my routes highlighted. I don't know if you can see. Oh that. sure, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. I can I can kind of see uh, the lines. Yeah, I have a cool black light, but uh, I don't. I didn't plug that in. That that would be cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I've played in over thirty, maybe thirty-five or thirty-four. And I think I've been through the contiguous. Uh, I think I've driven through one part of all the lower forty-eight. Nice. Yeah, that's dope. Hey, maybe you'll get in Alaska someday. Hopefully. That'd be cool. I just moved to Anchorage and he's happy. Up, he's super happy up there and it looks beautiful. So it'd be cool to chill out up there, literally chill out up there for a couple <laughs> of weeks or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
<clears throat> well, it's cool. That, yeah, you've been able to entertain so many people across the country. I mean, that's that's the life, man. Um, have obviously touched on it a couple times already, but uh, the cidery. So catch cider. Um, so I guess so. You kind of you brought a loosely brought up like kind of how you like met one person who introduced you to another, and it kind of like was sort of like a a, a snowballing of events. But um, I'd love to hear more about, yeah, just how the whole thing kind of came to be. Well, I guess last year when uh, gigs started drying up, you know, like I, I'm like a beer garden musician. I've been playing the beer gardens for a while. So um, when a lot of my kind of mainstay gigs that I had lined up really fell out last April, right around this time last year, I was like, oh well, darn, my summer is really going to be kind of bummer right now. Mm. And so I was already looking for a job in March. And I think I took this other job in March who a, fr a friend referred me to. And it was so a friend referred me to somebody who needed somebody. And I took this job as a legal assistant, um, which was really cool. Um, I have legal, ex I have legal experience from the criminal side. <laughs> So um, that's, I, I, I was all right. I did okay at this job. And then COVID hit even harder. And the person I was working with was high risk. So I was looking for a way to maybe get out of there for my employer's sake. Yeah. And um, my employer encouraged me to start my own winery um, because I was looking for other ways to do it. And I was looking for somewhere maybe to work or to maybe contract wine or maybe look for an investor, do start it. And he's like, just start it yourself. And so I got some help from um, this person and some other people to help start it. And it took me a little bit longer than I expected. I expected to be open maybe by September last year. And it took me until December to get open. And so I lost a little bit of my valuable fall sales timing, but um, I did manage to crank out a bunch of ciders in December last year. And um, now this year is looking pretty good for the cidery so far. Right on. Before, um, before this venture, had you like, had any, had you had experience like, making wine or beer or anything like that before oh sure yeah i've been doing it since maybe i think i tried it first in 2011 and so i've been doing it at least nine years by then by last year i had i had taken my first wine making class in 2019 um but i had gotten some cider making tips from the home brewer in like 2012 and that was really all I needed to kind of get going yeah and if you kind of know basic biology and basic kind of science and kind of like the laws of thermodynamics and things like that wait the way carbonation works you know if you know some things like that you know what starts to work what doesn't work and then if you go to wine school you learn all of the real chemistry about it and all of the real ways to clean up a mess and um, to be safe uh, and uh, do, it, do it as a business kind of thing. 
Um, so I was trying to legitimately start the business probably as early as 2014 with a partner. And then that partnership dissolved, that didn't work out. And by 2017 or 2018, I was really like trying to start it. And I thought 2019, I might work at another place to start it and that didn't work out. So, but every year I was like, I had saw the cider trend exploding and I had known about it 10 years earlier. And I was like, I gotta get on this. Every year, every year the apples grow. Apples don't care if I have a business or not, <laughs> or if the cider market is growing or not. So, but um, my my business plan was to do it not for um, the capitalism itself, but for the um, re-education of Americans about their agriculture, to reconnect them with their land, to uh, help them find out what they've historically lost, you know, through prohibition axes, chopping tree varieties down or whatever. Um, most people only know 10 commercial apple varieties nowadays. And it's such a shame because there used to be 10,000 and there's so many cool apple varieties out there. It's just, I became an apple geek almost by accident. And now I'm just trying to feed people apples in cider form. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Hey Amen. Apples are like candy to me. I I eat a ton of apples. I've been eating so many apples for years. I mean, usually it's sort of like a cycle of the same couple varieties, but um love apples, man. Those uh, I remember in elementary school, there was like a an apple song that we had in music class that like we named all every single like apple variety, you know, and that's how I learned about like I learned like all these different apples when I was in like second grade from that song. You still sing that song? I, I don't remember how it goes, but <laughs> I'm sure it exists somewhere on the internet. Um, I like the apple names that have to do with colors a lot. Um, and just ones that sound clever. Uh, there's, I, I don't know why I, I always first think of green chisel but there's an apple called Green Chisel. That's just the coolest apple name you could ever think of, like Green yeah. Chisel. Yeah. Or uh, there's an apple called like, uh, well, there's Pink Pearl, of course. That one, that's, that one I have an experience with up in the tree. It's like, it tastes like, it's like, it's like down later. So it tastes like a candy when you eat it. Yeah. And then there's crazy, you know, the Black Prince. There's an apple called the Black Prince. There's an apple called the Bloody Plowman. The Bloody oh, cool. Plowman. Yeah, the story of it is that the woman caught a thief on her property raiding the apple trees. And like, as he's running away with the apple trees, she shoots him dead and where he, they buried him right there. And supposedly this tree sprouted up from where he was killed. And it's a red fleshed apple. So What a tale. <laughs> yeah. So whether or not, I mean, the, yeah, that's, that's why I love apples. That's the reason I love making music is to tell stories. And the reason that I love giving people cider is that I get to tell stories about the apples. So um, it's those, that's a connection that I feel like uh, it's people, people think that cider making is my passion and it's not exactly my passion, but it's easy for me to get passionate about it yeah, I, I see what you mean. That's I like that connection a lot. Where did um so catch cider? Where did the name come from? How'd you decide on that? 
Well, just what we were talking about, all the different cool apple variety names. And um, when I wanted to make cider, I wanted to figure out if I could make single varietal ciders because I just wanted to make some pink pearl cider or I wanted to make some golden russet cider and uh, or wine sap cider. So uh, Arkansas black cider. So first year I ever made cider, those were the ciders I made because well, not the first year I ever made cider, but the first year I ever found somebody to press me single varietal ciders, those were the ciders that I made. And um, so I, I've always kind of described myself as a cider archivist more than a cider maker because mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of things to the cider. I don't add any additives or sugars or um, I don't add sulfites. Um, so I try and give them the apple as honestly as I can in cider form and hopefully it still tastes like the apple that came off the tree. So I have a thing that I put on my labels, it's called orchard to glass. And uh, that's, so I'm not, I almost call the cidery archival ciders, but archival doesn't really roll off the tongue. Archival ciders, no. What's a cooler word for archive? A cache. Yeah, like that. Hello, cash cider. That's a lot. That's a lot easier to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. That's nice. I, it's I've never like really heard like you know, apples and cider is like uh, described in like an artisanal way like this. So I like it a lot. Um, it's, it's exciting, and it's exciting that Milwaukee has something like this now. So where are you located? I'm down by the Hyde House complex. If you know where that is. Okay. Not in the main Hyde House building. I'm in the building across the street, the one that, the one with, there's a stone walkway that goes over Greeley Street. So I'm in the building on Greeley Street, 2612 South Greeley, uh, across the street from the main Hyde House building. Right on. Awesome. So tell me about, so um, yeah, the last question then is, uh, yeah, tell me about uh, what you have available in store now. Like, what's uh, tell me about your products that are that you've had out. Let's see. Well, I got to make about seven or eight single varietals last December, and uh, some of those I'm still pouring right now. One of them is called Northwestern Greening. That's a Wisconsin apple. I got a lot of that because I got a big batch of. I got a whole. I got many bins of apples last uh, fall of that, and. Um, I also do these blends called Entangled. And uh, so I can do Entangled blend, which is uh, just a bunch of different apples or as many as 20 apples, I say. Um, and then I can do Entangled fruits, like entang I have an Entangled cranberry, I have an Entangled uh, blueberry, there's an Entangled pomegranate coming off. So I'm kind of experimenting with these one-off test batches, like I said, to keep people interested in the off season. Um, and uh, yeah, but so I probably have three or four single varietal ciders on tap right now and um, a blender too. Yeah. Nice. Cool. I'll have to come try some now. I'd love to try some. Yeah, please do. And uh, Ethan, I appreciate you coming on the show today to talk about your music, about uh, apples, about the cidery. Uh, it's all good stuff. Um, I, I like you, how you kind of, you know, uh, sort of spiritually and artistically connect all of those things um, with like your philosophy of like why you create and stuff like that. So um, 
yeah enjoy talking to you man uh, yeah thanks it's a, it's a lot of fun you gotta you get you got you know everybody's in the transition period kind of in life right now and so you caught me in a really strange transition period in my life and um i have i have no shortage of kind of spiritual beliefs you know kind of coming from where i come from my my parents were uh, religious people uh, they both belong to religious orders um and so and but in general i just try and live my life as like a whole person and that means just kind of for a spiritual person usually that means having a little bit of spirituality in everything that you do it should it should exist whether or not you're um, pursuing a business interest or whether or not you're pursuing a, um, a, a social justice interest or an educational interest or a, a, even a, like a relationship interest. Um, mm. So hopefully I can, like I said, it's uh, this business is different from that business, but um, I should be able to see how the interconnectivity of things. And um, I, like I said, that's, just me trying to be a, a whole person, you know, like a, uni, a unified person. Right on. It's a good way to be. Um, so as we're closing out, I ask everyone the same two questions. Uh, the first is, Ethan, uh, what keeps you up at night? <clears throat> Ooh, a crappy mattress, maybe? Uh, oh, that's is that the too of an answer? No, no, no. That's, you know, that's, that's, people answer that question in all kinds of ways and, and a, a bad mattress, you know, the, remember those commercials when you were younger of like the couple that's like tossing and turning because they don't have a, uh, yeah, a I, memory foam. That's what, yeah. I feel like I'm not too much of a goal oriented person. I'm more of a healthy cycles oriented person, but sleep is definitely part of a healthy cycle. So I really should look into treating myself to getting a decent mattress. And then maybe I'll get better sleep and then maybe I'll do better at life. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where, where you recline, where you rest your head at the end of the night is uh, it's paramount to feeling on top of tackling every day. So I, I agree with that. Um, the second question is what puts you to sleep? Hmm. Oh, that makes it sound like that makes me I interpret that question as what bores you? What uh, bores you? What puts me to what puts me to sleep? What's boring? It's hard to say that I'm a get I'm not often a bored person. I because I can just I can be in a room and silent and nothing. And I'm cool. Um, I don't even listen to the radio in the car most of the time when I drive. I'm just uh, anyways, what what puts me to sleep? Or what puts you at peace? Hmm. Yeah, now I want to interpret the first question more seriously. But uh, <laughs> yeah. um, what, what, get, what, would get, what would give me peace? Well, maybe now this is a second chance to answer the first question seriously. What would give me good, what would give me better peace? What, I, that's what I'm chasing in life is peace. What would give me more peace? Um, maybe something to do with this country taking a lead on climate change or something, something like that. Uh, something about like the, we're, we're 4% of the world's pop, the United States is 4% of the world's population, but we own 44% of the world's guns or something. 
um, if that when when things like that change, that might give me a little bit more peace. Um, yeah, I think we got a long way to go in this country, and and if we can do more in this country, hopefully we can be like a world leader again. And the world definitely needs some better leaders right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, U.S. imperialism keeps me up at night, um, and how we're colonizing pretty much the whole world, and that right yeah. there goes right hand in hand with uh, a climate change thing too, because the U.S. military is also like one of the biggest world polluters too. It's um. I'm glad you said the word colonization. That needs to be said because it's it's ongoing. It's still ongoing, and it sucks. Yeah, and uh, until we change the conversation, it's going to keep going. So, yeah, uh, Ethan, thanks for being on the show. This was dope. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Thanks, Ben. You bet. For everyone watching, I'll be tagging the link to Ethan Keller so you can check out his music. I'll also be tagging catch cider uh so you can go get some very tasty milwaukee cider homegrown home brewed here and uh looking forward to seeing ethan uh as he's got some summer gigs lined up thanks for watching mr nice guy we'll see you next time